I said, we have a lot to, to cover. A little quick review. Um, you guys know I love a quick, good review, so it's not going to be too long, I promise. But to get us just up to speed with kind of where it is that we were, we've been in the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, this has been an amazing study. We've called this a life lived for God. And what's so awesome about this life lived for God, Joshua, is he is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we've seen in the last message we had, which was in whom we believe, we were looking at the devastating results of the defeat that they suffered at the city of Ai. Now, Ai was the second city that they were going to face when they entered into Canaan to receive or take, to take possession of the promised land. They first went to Jericho. They had this amazing victory there, but then they've, they've suffered this terrible defeat at Ai. And what we found was the fact that there was, it was linked to something very specific. There was a man named Achan. Achan was a gentleman who was one of the Israelites, and what had happened is he decided to defy God. God had told him, look, when you guys go and take Jericho, don't take any of the treasures for yourselves. Make sure you don't touch anything, because if you do, you're going to curse everybody. And Achan was like, well, you know what, I'll just take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So he took things. He had a, a hidden sin, and what happened because of that is God took his hand of blessing off of them. So what they had had this amazing victory at Jericho, now when they went to Ai, they get summarily defeated. But it wasn't just the theft that impacted them. There were other things that also contributed to their defeat. The first thing we looked at in that message three weeks ago is the danger of self-reliance. What we saw with Joshua was the fact that he was no longer relying on God. He literally had trusted in God all the way up to this point. It was God's, it was their reliance on God in the first place that had given them the victory in Jericho. But what happened was he became overconfident. And what we discussed is the fact that so many times our successes in life have a tendency to shift us away from dependence upon God and dependence upon ourselves. And that's that dangerous, slippery slope when we start to depend upon ourselves because what does it do? It pulls us away from Him. Then we looked at the, aspect, the, the danger of self-guidance. And we noticed that no longer was he being guided by God. Now he sent, a poor, he sent his spies forward and the spies came back and gave him wisdom. And guess what he took his guidance from? From men. He took human wisdom instead of God's wisdom and he applied that to his planning. And we talked about that subtle shift from trusting in God in our own lives. When we shift from following and allowing God to be our guide to trusting in ourselves, our emotions, or the people around us, how seductive and destructive that can be. Because inevitably, when we follow human wisdom, even if it's our own, and we think we're so smart, especially when we're teenagers, just saying, uh, <laughs> we had all the answers. I know when I was a teenager, I knew everything. It's amazing. And as I've gotten older, I realize how little I know even today. But the point is, what happens when we follow human wisdom is it takes us inevitably uh, to chaos, to fear, and many times disillusionment. People feel frustrated by the fact that they don't even understand what they're life is about, why they're here, what their purpose is. But what you find is when you allow God to guide is he gives you what's called perfect peace. He allows you to understand that you have a purpose that's greater than, than you. Then we talked about the danger of self-reliance. Joshua's confidence in himself. Again, this allowed pride to work its way into this man's life. Joshua had been so faithful to follow God, but literally even Joshua is affected by this because what happened, as opposed to getting God's approval on the plan, he assessed the situation on his own, and without any counsel from God, he decided that this was how they would move forward. If he had only taken the time to check with God, just run that plan by him just one time, God would have shown him what was to come, but he didn't. And so today, we're going to deal with the devastating results in our message, which is titled, The Impact of Hidden Sin. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for the way you've spoken to me. Lord, you know that I feel completely inadequate in this moment. Uh, Lord, I do not have a talent or ability or skill. God, I do pray that you help me to remove, 
Remove the human element out of this message, Father, that you might take hold of it. And Lord, that your spirit would lead and guide and direct us. Uh, speak to our hearts, grip us. Lord, show us what it is that we need to learn, what it is we need to change. And Lord, if no one else has ears to hear, Lord, help me today. Have ears to hear. And I will give you thanks today in advance for what will be accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our text today, we're going to see five different impacts of hidden sin. There are going to be four that are negative, very very negative, very detrimental. The first one we're going to look at is the hidden sin empowers enemies. The second thing it does is it weakens faith. The third thing it does is it makes the courageous become fearful, and then it causes God's people to settle for less. Now, those sound rather insurmountable and rather devastating, and and as well they should. And I don't want you at this point in time to check out on me and be like, oh, great. He's just going to be bashing on us the whole time about what's wrong with us. And Bob, there is going to be some of that. I'm just going to warn you up front. <laughs> there will be some of that. But at the same time, what I want you to realize is the fact that the way that God works is so amazing is he works even in devastating situations, things that are very, very hard. He even has a purpose in those situations. He can bring a positive out of a negative. We know Romans 8, 28, the Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good for those that love God that are called according to his purpose. Meaning that when we deal with a struggle or a tough situation or something hard happens, in our life. Guess what? God can even use that difficult thing or that bad thing that we would call for a good reason. And what we find is grievous situations, even the most grievous situations, God can use for our good and for his glory. So what we find is the fact that the fifth impact is that it it will, the fifth impact of hidden sin is that it can bring the prideful to their knees. This is key. The key word in that says can. It can bring. It doesn't say it will. It can. So listen, if we're dealing with hidden sin today, one of us here in this room, I pray that we have ears to hear. Let God deal with our hearts. Let this message shape us into who it is we're supposed to be. Genesis, or going to be Joshua 7, verses 5 through 7. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shabarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Wow. Okay? Remember that Joshua and the Israelites, man, they are confident as they go to Ai. They have got this thing wrapped up. Instead of sending hundreds of thousands of men, which they had available to them, they sent 3,000 men. 3,000 men. And those 3,000 men would easily handle it. But what we found is in their very first confrontation, 36 of the Israelites die. Now, the reason why that's important is because recognize in the Battle of Jericho, which is a much larger city, much more fortified, much, 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 much more stronger. There you go. Much more stronger. They didn't lose a single man. They didn't have a single injury. Yet in this one, 36 guys die almost right away. And whoa, can you imagine? That's what we're looking at. As they started to see their countrymen fall, as they were so confident, can you imagine what ran through their minds? And we look at the first point, hidden sin empowers enemies. Verse 5 says this, And the men of Ai smote of them about 36, 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shabarim, and smote them in the going down. 
So not only are, the, are these Israelite men stunned by the apparent strength of Ai, but they're scared as well. We see here that they are running away. They are being chased down by the men of Ai. Now, take into consideration the mindset of the Israelites, okay? Why are they confident? Because God gave them a promise. Back in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, we heard this. There shall not any man, this is God speaking, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake. That sounds pretty assuring, man. That would give you some serious confidence. So they're believing, listen, there's nothing that no one can stand against us. we got no problem because God's already promised us this thing is wrapped up. But see, with God, there's always a caveat to every promise. And the caveat is tied to the one receiving the promise being faithful in what God's asked them to do. The caveat for them shows up in verse number 8. Joshua 1.5 is where he gives the promise. Verse 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according all that is written, in the, all that is written therein. For then, listen, if you'll be faithful to do what I tell you to do, for then shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou shalt have good success. If you will do what I'm asking of you, guess what? My promise will be with you. you got nothing to worry about. So at this point in time, remember, they think they cannot be defeated. They're undefeatable. Is that a word? Whatever. They can't be beaten. So what we find is until the impact of hidden sin. Achan defied God. He broke God's law. And what we find is the confident army who marched up there so full of themselves is running like scared children. And the invulnerable children of God are now vulnerable because of Achan's sin. His choice to defy God, what did he do? It nullified God's promise. It nullified God's promise. But remember, they don't know about it. Nobody knows except for Achan and God. But what we find is that their enemies were empowered because of the sin. And can I tell you this? If we defy God and we allow sin into our lives in whatever form or fashion it may be, even a lack of faith, where instead of trusting God like I should, I'm trusting in myself. Remember, these things are sinful. Joshua has slipped into the sin because of their success. He's become prideful. What we see is the fact that, guess what, Christians, man, we can open ourselves up to not only attack, but defeat in our Christian lives if we're not careful. Recognize the fact that, man, God has a purpose and a plan for our life, and the devil knows it. Paul warns us about defying God, about allowing sin to work its way into our life in whatever subtle way it may come. You know what he says in Ephesians 4.27? Neither give place to the devil. Notice it says give. Give is a choice. A choice. Neither allow. Don't make a choice to allow the devil into your life. We hear that and we go, okay, don't give him an open door. We shouldn't. Because let me just tell you this. If you give him an open door, he will walk through it. Yeah. I can guarantee you that. Many of us can attest and we allow, for, allow ourselves to fall away from God even a little bit. Man, the devil's right on it, man. He doesn't miss an opportunity to bring destruction. That's why he exists. Listen, John 10.10, Jesus lays out to us. He tells us what the objective of the devil is. He tells us exactly as three. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
To steal, to kill, and destroy. He hates humanity. He hates humanity, and He will take every option we give Him to bring destruction into our lives. Know this, it's the, this is the case. But then notice right after that, Jesus says this, I am come that they may have life, right? And that they might have it more abundantly. God says, look, I've come to give you this abundant life. You have a choice to make. Here, the devil's come to destroy. I've come to give you an abundant life. The picture of the promised land, which is so amazing. So if we know that's his objective, that's what he wants to bring. Why on earth do we give him access to our lives? Why do we give him access to our relationships, to our families, to our children? To our churches. It's a choice. Because Ephesians 4.27 is surrounded by warnings about sin. He's warning us to be cautious and careful because hidden sin empowers enemies. Again, remember that the Israelites, they don't know about Achan's sin. Just imagine as they go confidently marching to Ai and they start to hear the first screams of their brothers dying can you imagine what would happen to their confidence? What if it was you? You're like, dude, we got this. We're in, you know, be like Superman, right? Gets exposed kryptonite or something like that and goes running out. He's bulletproof and all of a sudden, oh, dang. Oh, dang. Oh, man, that hurt. That's what's happening. They believe they're invulnerable, but man, they walk out and boom, they get hammered. And when they start hearing these screams, they're freaking out. What are they thinking? God's promise wasn't true. Because they don't know, right? They don't know about Achan's sin. All they know is we're doing what God told us to do. Here they're on the job, man. God can't be trusted. Fellas, run for your lives! We're in trouble! God can't be trusted! Run! And while they're running, man, they can hear AI right on their tail. Chasing them. Running in fear, man. Hunted and killed. Listen, hidden sin empowers our enemies. Next. It weakens faith. Verse 5 says this, Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Listen, Achan's sin, the resulting defeat, it has shaken the Israelites to their core. I mean, they are overwhelmed, man. Their confidence is it's gone. And what we see is the fact that here, as soon as they see uh, these, these things taking place around them, and their confidence because of this defeat is absolutely destroyed. And what happens so many times in our lives when we deal with an adversity or we deal with some type of, 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 of an adverse situation, our faith. Now, understand, the fact that their faith was shaken in themselves in this moment is a really good thing, okay? But the other part of it is the fact that their faith in God is shaken. That's the detrimental thing. And so when you and I find ourselves many times in tough situations, that's what can happen to us. We can feel the exact same way. Imagine you got someone you're praying for, for God to heal them, and they don't heal. Maybe your, your marriage, right? Maybe your marriage falls apart. Maybe a relationship that you valued more than anything in the whole world comes to a crashing end. Maybe a life is cut short. Maybe your career comes crashing to the ground. Any one of those situations can shake our faith in God. It shouldn't. But how many of us admit that it does? It does. We just get rocked, man. And we find ourselves tearfully looking up to the sky saying, God, why? Why well, thought you loved me. 
I thought, I thought what was important to me was important to you. Why would you allow this? And can I tell you, sometimes we'll never find out the why. Sometimes we will. But can I tell you this? God knows the why, and that's what's important. See, God has a purpose and a plan for all things. And this adversity that they're going through, guess what? It has a purpose. He allows trials in our life to shape us so that humanity as a whole could be impacted. And we look at the situation, all we do is look at how it affects us. And we miss so many times how it affects the people around us. Jeremiah 29. In that chapter, what we find is the fact that at this point in time, the Israelites, man, they've fallen into captivity. They've lost the promised land that was theirs, that God had given to them. All that they built, everything they had is taken away. They're taken into enslavement. They are literally taken captive. And for 70 years, that's going to be their story. Am I even looking at my notes? I don't even know where I'm at. Goodness gracious. Where are we at? Oh, sorry. I'm a, I'm a couple pages ahead. Whew. I'm just excited, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> but what we find is the fact that here, when they fall into captivity, it's not that God doesn't know what's going to happen. In fact, he allows it to happen. He wills it to happen. Jeremiah 29, 4, he says this, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem, from Babylon. I caused it. When they're standing at pi High hirath at the Red Sea, guess what? The Bible says it said that God directed them there. He directed them there. God allows adversity to build us. Recognize the fact that what's happening in this situation is they've turned their hearts from God and God's got to bring something in their life to change them, to shift them. And what will happen after that trial? They're going to change. God's going to shift their hearts and restore them. Jeremiah 29, 11. Speaking to Jeremiah, but also speaking to the people, he says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. I'm allowing this adversity because I've got a purpose long, long term. See, he has a plan. And the great thing is that God's plan is always what's best for us. It doesn't mean it's going to be implemented the way that we want it to be implemented. It may not happen the way that we want it to, but we still have to trust it. And this is so important because God does not function the way we function. He does not think the way that we think. We only work with the information we have in the moment. But do you ever have a situation where maybe somebody would say, or your child might say, they want to make a decision based upon what they know in the moment. And you go, no, 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 no. Ho, ho, ho. Hey, listen, I know what's going on in this situation. Let's say it's playing, playing outside in the yard. And you know there's construction going on. A lot of traffic's been diverted by your house. Dad, I've played in the yard before. Son, just trust me, you can't play in the yard today. But dad, but dad, but dad. See, God has all the details. He understands the decision that needs to be made. But we want to do it our way. But see, God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I've got an example. I, and if you, Wednesday nights, if you watch Wednesday nights, you've seen this before, but I'm going to use it today because it's going to help us. Have you ever seen a needlepoint before? We have a picture of a needlepoint. So when a needlepoint's being done, the artist, right, they have, a, they have an image in their mind that they're going to create. And so the artist is looking at this image and they're creating this beautiful picture. They see it from the perspective of the plan they have. But then we have the other side of the needlepoint. It looks like that, right? Now, the artist isn't looking from the back side. They're not working on the reverse. They're working on the front. So their focus is on what it's going to look like in the end. The problem is if you're looking at the back side, you'd go, what in the world? That's chaos. That is a mess. That doesn't make any sense at all. 
and recognize God has a purpose and a plan. God has an image in his mind, a picture he's forming out of our lives. And many times when we deal with adversity, we only see that. So we don't get to see the picture. We don't understand what God's doing. But in that mess, we look at that and go, there's absolute confusion. This doesn't make sense. Why, God? Why? But see, that's why we trust the artist. We trust the artist. God has a plan, and that mess on the backside, the more complicated the mess on the backside, the more beautiful the image on the other side. So sometimes when something really hard comes into our lives, it's the ability to say, I don't understand this mess, this knotted, horrible mess, but I know God does. And I may never see him on earth <coughs> what it's about. But man, one day when God shows me and I look back into the trail of my life and I see that storm, I'll be able to say, wow, it was that? It was that? What I felt was so awful was that was the part of my story? That's amazing. Thank you that you didn't listen to me. Thank God that you didn't let me influence your decisions, that you did what you needed to do. Guys, it's so important. This defeat has a purpose, a very specific purpose. It's going to reorient the people to allow them to stop trusting in themselves and fully rely on God. It's going to shift their mindset. Now, we're going to get to verse number six, but we're going to skip it today until, well, until we finish verse number seven. We're going to knock out the negatives before we get to the positives, okay? So bear with me as we head to that direction. So we've seen hidden sin empowers enemies and weakens faith, but get us also does. It makes the courageous fearful. Verse 7 says this, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? i got to get this issue. Y'all are killing me. Your eyes are just getting, you're nodding crying with me, but you're just looking at me making me cry. With the, faith, with the people's faith severely shaken, what's happening right now is Joshua's voicing what they're feeling. Right? He's, he's voicing their heart. And what it reveals to us is not only the heart of the people, but it also reveals us that the pain and the fear and the shaken faith goes all the way up to Joshua. Consider the fact that Joshua, man, he's been unshakable. He has been confident. How in the world has this man who's been what God told him to be? He said, be strong and courageous. Be strong and of a good courage. And that's what Joshua's been through this whole deal, man, all the way through. Yet here he is, allowing his confidence in God to be shaken. And can I tell you this? That even the most faithful of us can be derailed by the impact of hidden sin. That's right. Even the strongest church, yep. the strongest relationships, the strongest Christians can be brought to ruin if hidden sin is not addressed in someone's life. On Wednesday nights, we've been talking about, this past week we were discussing the seductive influence or the seductive impact of prideful prayer. And it's a really awesome subject. We're not finished with it, so come back to Wednesday night. We're going to knock it out. 
But what's amazing about this is we looked in James chapter number four, and we're using that as our kind of byproduct, our, our basis to follow from. Listen to James four, verses eight through 10. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded, okay? Now, if we'll do that, if we'll change our hearts from following the world, and we'll see the world from a godly perspective instead of an earthly perspective, what will it do? Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. The very things that you used to think were funny, now when God changes your heart, you go, oh my goodness gracious, that's, that's not funny, that's heartbreaking, Suddenly, when I see things from a godly perspective, the, the, the crude joke that I used to chuckle at now breaks my heart. The word that I hear said at work in the distance now makes my stomach roll. And I feel sick to my stomach because I hear somebody take the Lord's name in vain where before that was me. It changes who we are. Verse 10 says this, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. The, the key is humility. Listen, if there's something not pleasing to God in our lives, we need to deal with it. We need to deal with it, whatever it may be. Address it. Humbly bring it before the Lord in repentance. Repentance means to turn from something. That doesn't mean I just stop doing it. It means I say, no, never again. I am done. I will not do that. This is, my life is going this way. That's no longer my story. Listen, man, we got to repent of sin. You cannot play with sin because I'm just telling you, no matter how subtle it may be, and how much well-hidden you believe it is, God sees it. And guess what? The impact is going to come. Yes. There will be a negative impact, not only in us, but also those that put faith in us. Because remember, at this moment, every one of the men, including Joshua, trusts Achan. They have faith in him. And there are people right now who have faith in you. They're trusting that you are who you say you are. We need to be who we say we are. <coughs> then the fourth negative impact of hidden sin is God cause, it causes God's people to settle for less. Verse 7 finishes this way. Would to God we have been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Did you hear what Joshua just said? He's questioning whether they should have trusted God in the first place. Should we have ever even trusted this God? In this moment of confusion and despair, Joshua sounds just like his peers who died in the wilderness. This man of faith has been shaken to his core because of a hidden sin of someone else and his own pride that swelled up within him and that defeat that they have suffered, it has broken his heart. And we listen to this and we go, oh my goodness, how could this man of such faith, of such consistency, of such commitment doubt God in such a way? Well, let's do a little investigation. We know. It all started with Achan. It started with Achan's hidden sin that caused God to take his hand off of his people. At the same time, here, Josh was trusting in himself. He's trusting in their success. So they stopped depending upon God. They start depending upon themselves. They don't ask God and find out about the sin. And because they don't find out about the sin, they are defeated. So if Joshua had simply remained dependent upon God, through this whole process. If every step of the way he was constantly saying, God, is this the way we should go? Is this the way we should move forward? There never would have been a defeat at AI. There would not have been any issue at all. You see, when we walk closely with God, what's amazing is the fact that hidden sin gets revealed. God brings things to the surface. And, this fact, and the impact of sin is so much less upon us. Listen, if you've got the indwelling spirit of God living in you, God has given us a promise. Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Listen to that. Walk in the Spirit. That's the command, the byproduct. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I will protect you from this garbage. I'll protect you from the destruction. I'll protect you from the defeats. Walk with me. Walk with me. Because when we don't walk closely to God, what happens? We're getting further away from Him. And if I'm getting further away from Him, I'm separating myself from God and I'm opening the door to sin in our lives. We open the door and that subtle, seductive impact of sin. You know what it brings with it? Confusion, fear, and doubt. Which is exactly what the Israelites are feeling right now. They're overwhelmed. Listen, and people that are in that mindset, they are not living lives that are kingdom mindset, with a kingdom mindset. No. They're not the kind of folks that are out there prepared to stand up for the gospel. They're not the people that are going to to proclaim the love of God to this lost and hurting world. No, you know what they do? They just tend to step back. They tend to blend in. They tend not to make waves. They just become a part of the culture. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. They just want to just want to get along. Because their hidden sin has caused their faith to become hidden. And the devil gets a victory. But you see, God's plan for believers, that's not it. God's plan for believers, for believers, he, he created us, He saved us to be world changers. He wanted us to change the scope and the world of the landscape. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Change the world. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 20, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. We are saved by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to minister to this world to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing the trespasses unto him. He's given them a way out and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, man. He's given us the word of God, the mission that we're on to restore this world. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. You're an ambassador. We're supposed to reach out to this hurting world as as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. This is the call of the Christian right now. Be ye reconciled to God. That's what this world needs. Why is sin taking hold of people's lives? Why are people living destruction? Why are young people killing themselves all over this nation? Because they have no hope. Because they're not reconciled to God. They were created for a love relationship with God. And because they don't have it, they feel helpless and hopeless. You will never find an answer in this world that will fulfill you. I don't care how many followers you have, how much money you've got, how many Lamborghinis you drive, how big your house is. It will not matter. It will not matter. There is no material item in this world that will ever fulfill the heart of man. It just doesn't happen. We're created for a love relationship with the one that created us and loves us. World changers. And you see, Joshua, Joshua was supposed to be a world changer. He was supposed to bring his people into the promised land and establish the kingdom But you know what he said right then in that that sentence he told us? He was willing to settle for less. He was willing to settle. He was not intended to settle. And neither are we. Which brings us to the fifth impact of hidden sin. Which is that it can bring the prideful to their knees. Verse 6. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and all the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. 
Now, we hear that the phrase, we wonder, renting of their clothes. What does that mean? He's going out and renting a new outfit. No, he's not renting an outfit. <laughs> renting of their clothes means he pulls them, he tears them, he pulls them away. He dishevels himself. This is a, this is a, this is a, uh, a, a representation of grief, of, of, of despair. He's overwhelmed. The first time it shows up in history is Job 1.20. It says, in Job 1.20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. It was a display of this great sadness. And then we see that Joshua and the elders, they also fell upon their faces and they put dust upon their heads. And we go, what's up with that? This is a picture of being as low as you can get, as humble as you can before God. This is a reaction to the emotions that we heard expressed in verse number 7. Joshua and his people are confused and overwhelmed with despair. And in a moment like this, can I tell you, people do one of two things. One of two things. They'll either turn to God in humility or they will angrily turn away from God in rebellion. And there's a man that was in this church 2019. Actually, I think it's, uh, let me look at the date. I think it was August. August 18th, 2019. The week before this, this man came to my office. He came to me for marriage counseling. Had a background as a, as a Roman Catholic. Um, hurt, broken, looking for answers. And we sat in my office and we talked and he told me about all the despair of his life. The depression that had, that had been on his heart for literally, he'd suffered with depression for 30, 40, almost 40 years. And he was so distraught. And luck God, uh, God worked it out so that I could share with him the gospel. And I shared with him who Christ was sitting in my office. And as I reached a point in time in that mess when I was speaking to him, and I said, I said, I said, listen, his name is Clevis. And I talked to him and made sure it was okay to share a story. I said, Clevis, if God was here right now, and it was him sitting here talking to you across this desk, and he said he was willing to receive you right now, exactly as you are, what would you say to him? And his eyes got angry. And he said, and this is what he said, I'd ask him why he doesn't care and why he doesn't listen. Rage. And I said, why do you say that? He said, because when I was a young man at 15 years old, my dad was my hero, my poppy. He's from the Dominican Republic. And he said, when my dad was dying of cancer, I watched him shrivel away to this tiny little, little facade of who he was. And I prayed and I asked God with all my heart that I would not be there when he died. And he said, you know what? The day I was in my dad's room by myself, he died while I was in the room. God didn't care. And I told him, I said, look, I can't understand why that would happen. But can I tell you this? In that moment, you had a choice. You could turn to the Lord and let him heal your life. Yeah. Or you could rebel against him. You just sat here for the last two hours and told me how horrible your life has been. How you suffered with depression and been broken for so many years. We know the route that you chose. We know. How has it worked out for you? And he just sat there silent. And I said, look, man, I'm not asking you to do anything for me. This isn't for me. This isn't for nobody. Listen, come to church on Sunday. Just come to church on Sunday. Just sit and listen. Maybe God will do something. And he came on Sunday. 
And this is what he wrote on Facebook. This is what he said. Today. Today I feel like I've finally found something profound. It has awoken something that I have lost a long time ago. Something that died in me when I lost my hero. My poppy. I found a new father. A father that will never die. Never wither away. Will never turn his back in the rough times. Never will I be in the dark because his light is greater than any darkness. I have found a teacher. An exemplary man I want to learn from. I found the Lord and Savior. I turned my back on him years ago. And yet, I feel at peace because he has not forgotten me. He's forgiven me. He's been there and yet I could not see. Now I see and I feel, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the lamb that had been lost has returned and is willing to do whatever you ask and desire of me. Hope all of those who are lost may be found. I have faith that he will fill them with joy and with love. Love your neighbor. Love your families. Love your enemies. Simply put, love God and his, fa- and his son, for they are the way to true fulfillment and happiness. For even the worst of times, there is a reason that he has put you there. There are always reasons in his work. And all, you, and, all who knew, and all who knew me, no, I would not speak of this. But I say to you, I have found him, and he is great. Amen. The power of God. And what we saw in that was the fact that in Clevis' story, as well as in Joshua's story, we understand the humility involved, the humbling that's taking place. And because of that humble mindset, man, it's fostered them into, in their lives into walk with God. And listen, there are a series of messages. I'm almost done, I promise. There are a series of verses that's brought to mind for me. First Peter 5, 6 came to mind. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Okay? In God's time. If we will allow tribulations to humble us, we are on the road to restoration. This is the best thing ever. If we can recognize the fact that, listen, our dependence upon ourselves is sinful. Not only is it sinful, but it keeps us away from the restoration that God has for us. And understand that every moment of this suffering that he was going through, every moment of Joshua's brokenheartedness, every moment of it, God is waiting to smother them with his love and to heal their lives. That's the love. That's the God. We talked about it today, the love of God in the songs today. The love of God. 1 John 4.19 says this, We love Him because He first loved us. God's love is so incredible, we can't even perceive what it is. And understand, it's because He loves us that He allows the trials in our lives. It's because of that. Because of the work that the trial will do in us, through the shaping that will take place, through the humbling, through adversity that will change who we are. It will give us ears to hear the heart of God as He calls out to man. Recognize the fact that, listen, John 6, says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And as he draws once stubborn hearts, once stubborn people out of the darkness, he reveals to them his light. He reveals to them his love. They experience something they've never experienced before. First John 1 John 1.5 says this, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God, that, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Listen, as a child of God, we can experience darkness, absolutely, but can I tell you, it's not God. 
It is not God. It may be a God, but it is not the God. God will allow us to experience the darkness so that he can bring the prideful out of the darkness and into the light. I'm just telling you, he has a purpose and a plan. Romans 5 verses 34 says this. No, 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 no. Uh, James 1 verses 3 through 4. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Man, we just trust God in the midst of that darkness. We hold on to Him and we say, God, you know the answers. Paul expounds upon this. He goes even further. He gives us kind of what, this, what the, the, the process we saw in Clevis' life, the one we're seeing in Joshua's life, coming out of the darkness in, in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. We recognize it for a good, it has a good. Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Listen, tribulation and failure are a part of the human experience. It's a part of life. None of us are going to come out of this thing unscathed. None of us are going to come out of it unscarred. We're all going to get deal with our own failures, our own issues, our own struggles. The problem is, the question is, will we allow these defeats in our life to shake our faith, like we see in Joshua 7? Or will we allow it to strengthen our faith, our faith and increase our dependence upon God? See, interestingly enough, because of Joshua's humble submission to God, because of his willingness to have ears to hear, did you know that going forward, there'll be no more defeats? There's only one. In the entire conquest of Canaan, there's only one failure. But all of the victories that the future holds come from a defeat. Recognize defeat is not the end of our story. Right? We learn. We grow. We regroup. We trust God more than we did before. And we grow and go forward. And victories can be our, our story. Can I tell you? If you feel defeated right now because of hidden sin, in whatever form or fashion it may be, maybe you're just not trusting God like you need to. That there are one of two ways to deal with it. Right? Submit to God. Start on the path to healing. Or trust in ourselves. Do it our way. I mean, today we've seen the hidden sin has some very detrimental impact. It empowers enemies. It weakens faith. It makes the courageous fearful. Causes God's people to settle for less. And can I just tell you that in our world today, there are countless people that live as a result of those four impacts that have been decimated because of failures and because they've trusted in themselves. And there's very few that recognize in the midst of their defeat and allow God to do what he's trying to do, which is to bring them to their knees before God. If we can embrace the adversities that life brings and recognize the fact that God's trying to do something in us, If we fight it, it is arduous and terrible. But if we embrace it and trust the Lord, He can do something miraculous. See, victory or defeat in the Christian life is determined in how we react to the impact of hidden sin. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today.
Thank you for the message. I know, Lord, this was, this was a difficult one. And Lord, I know that all of us struggle at different levels in our Christian walk. And I do pray, Father, that you please help us. Lord, help us to glean from this what it is you have for us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are struggling right now that have a, an issue in their life that they're trying to address, they're trying to deal with. God, we're not here to judge anybody. We're all in the same boat. We're all fighting the same enemy. But God, I do pray that, Father, you'd help them. Help them, Lord, to address these areas in their lives, these areas of failure, perhaps, God, where they feel like they're, they're struggling. God, I pray that you'll empower them. I pray that, God, you'll give them the courage to face whatever it is in their life that they're dealing with. God, help them to bring it to the surface. Help them to bring it to you that you might, Father, bless them. I know you're waiting right now to bless them. God, I pray that you'll draw them to you. And for those that are here today, maybe you're watching online and you say, you know what, I don't even know where I stand with God. I don't even know that I, that I have a relationship with him. I believe in God. Great. Let me just tell you, the devil believes in God. The demons, the Bible says that the devils, they, they tremble in the presence of God. They have an emotional response to God. They believe in God. They trust God's word is true. They know it's true. Yet none of them are going to heaven. Salvation is a matter of the heart. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, it's not a matter of a religious experience. It's not a matter of some type of a, of a, of a, of a ceremony. It's not a magic prayer. There's nothing like that. This is the heart of God calling out to the heart of man. And it's an individual call. And if we will individually choose to receive the gift that God offers, which is eternal life through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, He will save us. Because He loves us more than we ever, ever could imagine. And if you're broken here today and you say, you know what, I don't know where I stand with God, but I want to receive Him. If He's calling your heart right now, He's calling you and you need to respond. I'm going to give you a chance right now to do just that. And understand, again, it's not the, the words of the prayer that will do anything for us. It's the intention of our heart. If you're here today with your heads bowed and eyes closed and you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you can pray this prayer in your heart or in your mind. But again, it's not the words. God's not listening to the words that you're saying in your mind. He's listening to your heart. If you want to receive Him as your Savior, He will save you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Him. Lord, I, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for my sin. I know that I have failed you. I failed my family. And I failed myself. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to forgive me of my sin. Lord, I repent of my life, the things that I've done wrong. And I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. God, I put my faith in you. And I'm asking you to help me to live for you. God, please do work in my life and only you can. I'll see you in heaven one day, Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Head still.